Hello, I'm Nicola Foley, and this is the Let's Talk About podcast. My next interview is with Lorna Fotheringham, a support worker at Perth and Kinross ADHD Group. Lorna sees stigma and misunderstanding on a daily basis. We spoke about why she thought that was and how we might change it. I would say it's misunderstood now because if you go back in decades, 20, 30, 40 years ago or further, um, people who were neurodiverse were treated as a very different class of people. Um, So if you didn't fit the norm, you were pushed aside. And if you go to my age range, um, so 40 years ago, you were treated as remedial. And um, that meant you were of lower intelligence and therefore didn't need as good a teacher, as much input into your schooling. You were basically herded into a room and left. Um, So I think we're still quite misunderstood on what neurodiversity is. But parents of neurodiverse children are getting better at fighting for their kids and what they deserve. It's weird that they have to do that still, though, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, it's weird yeah. that it's not moved on and people, yeah. are, with all this information, no. you know, are available at our fingertips and on our phones and everywhere that people don't know yeah. more about it. Yeah, and I think that now it seems to be the the feeling that, you know, we'll just call it ADHD because we don't know what else to call it. So let's diagnose that. So then somebody hears that diagnosis and go, oh, I've got another one. But actually, if you revisit your own life, how many neurodiverse people did you meet and you just didn't realise yeah. that was neurodiversity in action because we were so uneducated. Yeah. So the more we can educate, the better understood the neurodiverse community will be. Do you see any stigma or misunderstanding at the group that you work at? Um, I would say my role at the group, by the time parents come to us at the, the group, they're at a crisis point in their life with their child and we're seeing the effects of the stigma and the misunderstanding um, through the attitude that they have experienced towards them as parents from other parents perhaps from family members, older family members, possibly grandparents who think you're doing it wrong. Uh, And school teachers, um, I think our parents often feel very judged and are possibly given a hundred different ideas of what they could try to sort this child but actually the child is neurodiverse so yes we see a lot of the effects of stigma and misunderstanding at the group when parents come to us definitely definitely it's like more like educating the professionals like i.e teachers and people diagnosing this then the parents wouldn't get the blame with them definitely not i think more awareness 
more um, realization of what it is these families are living with would allow people to maybe step outside that box that we all live in of what children should be and what school for children should be and what life should be and just step outside the box and and look and see and I think above all listen to what these families are telling you they're struggling with. Yeah because if they're coming to you at crisis point that means that they've already tried everything they can think of normally and they've already educated themselves to a degree where they probably know more than a lot of the teachers about it. Definitely definitely and I don't think any mum and dad or um parent carer ever goes "Mm, do you know what I think I'll have a neurodiverse child so I'm going to read up about all of this beforehand no they're reacting to what as their wee person starts to grow and develop displays as their norm behavior yeah if that makes sense Yeah, and I don't think the schools and nurseries help because I think it's no coincidence that children get diagnosed when they go to school or they go to nursery because that's when the the display of behaviours becomes a problem for society and the way we operate. And then the parents are like, oh, I didn't kind of know that was like different if they've only got one child, but then they feel like they're getting penalised for it even though they didn't even know about Uh, it. uh, Because the tick boxes are there for nursery. Yeah. So, you know, so-and-so can't draw an S in the sand. So-and-so doesn't sit still at story time. You know, so they're actually not performing to this tick sheet. But that doesn't mean that there's something not good about them. Yeah. Do you know, I think, and the more that um, we can share neurodiversity and what it means and what it looks like, the better for all these little people who are amazing and fantastic and have the energy to run around 20. And out-of-the-box thinkers as well and innovative. And I mean, they've got so many plus sides that people don't even think about when they think about ADHD. No, they don't. They don't think of the creativity and the ability to have so many amazing ideas in 60 minutes (laughs) or the imagination. (laughs) One minute. <laughs> to, yeah, to write, to perform, you know, all of these things. It's yeah. just um overlooked. It is, definitely. That's the word. Definitely. Do you think when these parents come to you and they've been kind of rejected by everybody that they thought would help them, that that influences people's decisions to get either a, a diagnosis for their child or themselves? I I I think I've seen both kinds of parent. So you have the superpower parent, in my mind, who knows what their child has and fights for every single thing that that child deserves. And they they probably have a, a sixth sense early on that this is where they're heading so they inform themselves 
and they find out as much as they can about all the various um, diagnoses that could be there and they make sure that they get everything that that young person, child, young adult needs, whatever point we meet them at. But then I think there are other parents who are terrified of a diagnosis for what that might mean to this child going forward because it's quite an isolating diagnosis. Um, And in terms of friendship groups for their child, nobody wants to have the wee person that doesn't get invited anywhere or um, no sleepovers or no, you can't go there for a sleepover. No, you can't play with them because of the perceived unpredictability of neurodiverse kids Um, and I think there is quite a fear there of how it might impact their adult life if they move up through school trying to to hold down a wee job go to further education hold down this challenge of a university or college and what that means. You know, I think some parents are really frightened of that for their children. Um, And the other thing I have seen is what I call apples and trees. So you have this child and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So as the child is being diagnosed or going through this journey, there's a bit of a, hmm, that reminds me of me. Gosh, maybe I should, should I be getting diagnosed? And there have been occasions where a parent has gone through a diagnosis process because they have picked up on so much of their kid and certain things just fall into place that they go, wow, if I had known this. Yeah. 30 years ago I might have been a different grown-up I think I that's, why it's, it's, that's it, why it's important to get a diagnosis in my opinion and as somebody that hasn't had one and then had one really late in life I've lived both sides of it and I think that label that people are so reluctant to get and so frightened of is the key to unlocking all the services that can help you achieve and it's trying to make people understand that and not be scared of that adults who are diagnosed there, there has to be like taking this really heavy backpack off and going, so that's why all of this was so difficult because I was having to work twice as hard as anybody else to maintain the in-the-box norm when really I should have been out of the box yeah. and, it, and feeling my neurodiversity. It's you really can't, you can't achieve what you what you are capable of because you're constantly living a double life of trying to fit in, and that takes all your time and energy and is exhausting. And so, how can you then achieve stuff on top of that? You can't. I know. It's fascinating. It really is. Okay, so what would you like people to know about ADHD? I think the key message is the ADHD is not a choice. It's a neurodiverse condition. It's in your DNA strands. Mm -hmm. 
it's not a choice. It's something you're given. It's something you have to learn to live with and learn somehow to love that's who you are. But do you see a difference in people that have had a diagnosis then? Do you think or I mean, I suppose, that, again, that's a double edged sword because they could get a diagnosis and be all resentful and bitter of it and deny it. Or they could get a diagnosis and learn and educate themselves. And then I think that's when your life can change, when you accept it and you try and look for solutions to things. Yeah, I think um, if you've had an easier life, so we're not all born into a, a family that we get brought up in that holds us. So if you've had a hard upbringing, if you've had a hard young adult life, I think it could be like a a, a punch to realise how, how different your life could have been. But then my colleague will say, well, look at your apples and trees. What were that person's parents living with and what were their parents like? How were they brought up to know any different ways of bringing up their child? And I think if you're a, if you're a fortunate young person to be brought up in an understanding home, then you can probably manage your ADHD much better. I think it's that word, isn't it? It's understanding. You know, out of everybody I've spoken to about this, whether they know about ADHD or not, they either say, I don't understand it or I do understand it. And it's Uh just that word is massive, huge. Uh You've got like, you've got two words, haven't you? You've got ignorance and you've got understanding. And Uh those two Uh words can literally shape a person's life. Yeah. It's being able to articulate yourself. It's being able to explain why you're doing the things you're doing. And who with ADHD or autism can do that without a lot of help and a lot of understanding? Nobody. I know. Well, thanks so very much. No worries. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Nicola Foley and Buzzsprout. Music and sound effects from Zaps Black and Adobe. Poem by Jean Willis. Read by Zoe Bailey and Ivo DeMaya. Thank you to my guests, MSP Daniel Johnson, Dr. Tony Lloyd, Lorna Fotheringham and Hugo Maynell.